0: Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter.
1: One man. It was
2: merely a two-word review. It just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up. That right there is a, a lot, lot of success. Welcome back to The Basement, fellow music, others here now, tune into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin, as usual, and we are not even in the basement, because, long story short, the basement has been destroyed. Uh, I'm talking to you from the kitchen table right now, and you're going to hear from us later from the cat apartment. Uh, these are all sections in, in Chunky HQ that you've been over here, you know them well, but... Uh, you know, we have we have the benefit of having a little space to spread out. Uh, but our main studio is in the basement, and around the end of July, it got destroyed uh, by flood water. You know, we had a lot of rain here in D.C. Well, all that rain apparently went into our basement and sort of wiped out everything. Um, it uh, did about $15,000 worth of damage and uh, put us on an indefinite hiatus. And I say indefinite because, you know, in 300 episodes, we had not really slowed down. We had, in fact, we sped up two years ago. We used to do this once a week, and then it comes out twice a week. And um, when you do that, I think sometimes, uh, even though we all took measures to sort of stretch, uh, sometimes you sort of you sort of lose the plot, and it just becomes like automatic, which can be good. But in our case, I think you know we um, we started not necessarily to like it, and not necessarily to like music journalism. And so everybody needed a break, and so uh, that's what we did. I decided, hey, we're going to take a break until this feels right to come back. Uh, certainly, you know, take a break until the basement is fixed, uh, which, by the way, it still is not. Uh, you can ask me personally about that if you know me, and I'll tell you the long, uh, sorted story about that. But, um, but the point is, is that we had a chance to like sit back, refocus, and figure out what we are going to do. And so uh, I hope what, what we're starting today is uh, something that sounds familiar to all of you, but also is maybe a little bit different, maybe a little bit tighter, maybe a little bit, you know, we, uh, we are a family here at Chunky Glasses, and we uh, run our shit as such. So when you hear us hanging out in the basement, that's this is literally what we're doing. You know, we're not trying to put on a show. We don't do multiple takes. It's all done live. And it's just us hanging out, uh, doing stuff. And, and we've honestly gotten pretty decent at it. And, uh, but, uh, sometimes it requires a little tighter reporting. And so I think that's what we're gonna try to do going forward. And, uh, and maybe it'll work. Maybe our mode just is just hang out and turn on the mics. Uh, but I, I know a lot of talented people that, uh, I, I personally owe the success of this to. Uh, people like Marcus and Paul, you have on here, people like, like Eduardo, uh, people like Carrie, people like, uh, Michael Zorn, the neighbor, uh, you know, anybody who's really sat down there on the couch, uh, you know, we, we have done all of this together and, uh, and that is, uh, and that's how we're going to go forward doing it. So, uh, that's what happened. We are back and we are, um, we're ready to talk about more music and hopefully introduce you to more music uh today's the today's album that we're, we're going to be talking about i think every single one of you listening knows about it. it's war on drugs give you a little more uh background on that when we head on up to the cat apartment uh but we're going to be doing that and then uh and then another band at the back end and before that a little little conversation on, on t-swifty and it's not maybe the conversation that you think so uh, if you guys are ready. Uh, we are happy to be back hoping you are happy to have us back. Uh, let's on head on up to the cat apartment talk about one drugs a deeper understanding. And he gets, starts listening to your music, but that's, that's he was listening wow. to it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, think I was listening to this album with today. Really? Uh, did, did you enjoy it? Yeah. Ah, up and down. It was off and on. Okay, podcast yeah. over. Yeah. Bodie has spoken. <laughs> Bodie has spoken. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, we are we are here in the cat apartment uh, after a minor disaster uh, that I would have told you more about in the intro to this. So I'm not going to recap that right now. Right. Needless to say, we are clawing our way back from uh, destruction not nearly as bad or even comparable to Houston. Oh, gosh, no. Um, So if you're doing this instead of, like, if you're listening to us right now instead of donating or doing what you can to support people in Houston, stop, and then go do that. And if you've done that and come back, here we are. Or you Uh, can do both at the same time because you? you don't have to, like, listen I think you're giving the donate. you're giving the American populace a lot more credit than I, I would. I'm giving our listeners a lot. Yeah. More that, credit. Okay. That's fair. Okay. That's, that's good. That's good. That's fair. Um, we are we are here today. Uh, episode 301. We did 300 fucking episodes. Needed the break. Now we're back, and uh, we're back in a season where, uh, I, I guess the big hits are flying fast and furious. We are uh going to be talking about a band that Paul, you and I have seen a bunch of times. I think. At least we're fans of. We were huge fans of their last album, War on Drugs. Uh, before that, though, we want to talk about a little uh, little controversy that may or may not be controversy here, uh, drummed up by Miss Taylor Swift.
1: Twice, oh, oh. Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me do. Ooh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do what you just made me do look what you just made me do I don't, don't
2: like that is look what made you do we're not going to talk about that song because it fucking sucks <laughs> but but what we are going to talk Mike about said Fred thinks so too I don't even understand that and I said we wouldn't talk about it but, but, but just saying. I know it's in the credits I don't I I, I don't want to understand I, I don't want to know dude but uh, so so she has a new album out called uh, what is it Reputation is it that- yeah Reputation is Reputation coming out and obviously anytime Taylor Swift comes out with a new album she comes out with a new tour she has to get out there and play she is a road dog she, is, she has friends of friends who are actually in her band yeah and she treats them quite well I mean this is this is a musical uh, engine this is how I guess you do it in the music industry this is a, a success story not unlike you too. Not unlike the the biggest, the upper echelon of all this stuff. Right. Um, so the big thing this year has been, and every year, dating back to Pearl Jam, fighting Ticketmaster about this mm-hmm. is uh, is scalpers. Um, and right now we exist in a society where we have these things called bots. Yeah. And if you think it's bad now, 2023 is a singularity. I found that out in the break, Paul. Oh my Just god! So wait, wait, how did you find out when the singularity is? Just, I'm, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I found have it you out been talking to Rick Kurzweil again. Uh, yeah, I, I found it out. So, but that's neither here nor there. But right. the bots we have now, basically, uh, if you go to try to get tickets to your favorite artist show, say like Kendrick Lamar's one that I've been stung by. Yeah. Uh, any any. Big show. It's not necessarily the small shows, although a lot of the shows at Nine Thirty Club, which we'll get into, yeah. IMP uh, have have sold out because of this very thing. Um, if you if you go to get this, you might find that after five seconds or even after one second, sometimes your tickets are gone. Yeah, Ticketmaster has introduced a thing called uh, Verified by Ticketmaster. And is an algorithm, and it sort of like tries to decide if you're a real human, if you're a real fan. I don't know if that's really a qualifier, but it does all these things. And Taylor Swift now has taken it a little further. Uh, they they set up a whole thing called Tickets by Taylor. Uh, there's a site you can go to, which we will put on the link. There's a video for how you can learn how to do this and stuff. But the, the general idea is is you can get in line – virtually to get tickets and you can increase your chances of getting these tickets by performing boost activities. And what are these boost activities? You can buy the pre-order the album. Seems simple. Uh, you can watch the latest music video. You can post photos, engage in social media. And the site actually says, check Taylor Swift ticks portal for the newest boosting activities. You can do this every day. Um, consequence of sound, uh, and I did not write down the guy's name, but it, reading back through stuff is no surprise. He did not like this. Uh, had a had a. I think my opinion is an incorrect take on this, uh, which was, and I'm going to like. So basically, give Swift a lot of extra money or join her publicity team to ensure that you have not a ticket, but simply a place in line for the opportunity to purchase a ticket. I ask you, gentlemen, how is this different from anything ever in life?
3: Well, the music industry has never been like this. I, I And so, so explicitly, I think that's where we are right now. Um, I think that's the bigger overarching point is that we're at this point now where everything is just explicit. Like, we've gotten rid of all the artifice of every part of the industry. So, like, the marketing promotion of music, we're finally at that point now where we're just going to, like, rip off the, you know, the cover and say, this is how music is promoted. Like, and because... Music doesn't make any money. I think that's the biggest part of this conversation. Is that because music doesn't make any money, Taylor Swift's gonna damn sight make sure her music makes money. Right. So like that's the whole idea, is that she's going to monetize these songs before no because she knows that her the shows will sell out. She knows that the concerts will sell out. Yeah. That's all that's a set in stone guaranteed income earning part of her career. Now it's like, how do we get this music to make money? Right. And the way that you get the music to make money is by flogging your fans with the need it, to do all of this stuff before they purchase tickets.: Is it not?:
0: flogging, that it's, not
3: Well, it is. She's make, like
0: Paul. <laughs> it's, I, I just think it's. A, I think it's a more interesting capitalist experiment than when Radiohead started to pay what you want. Thing like this is okay. I I, I think it's fascinating when you see an artist, one of the few in the world, there's always you know just a handful that actually has the market power to do whatever they want. And this is what I kept coming back to when I was reading the articles today is that Radiohead got all this praise for being like, pay whatever you want get in here, but we're still going to sell all this fancy stuff on the side. I mean, we all remember how much the collector sets cost. Yeah, yeah. Most recent thing you can get the like, album for free, but for $700 and your firstborn
2: child... <laughs> right,
0: Right, but it was, but <laughs> but it was it's, like, how much do you want it? How much do you want to pay? But, and they got a lot of praise for it. Here with yeah. Taylor, I think it's the same thing, but just on the other side. It's like, you can take your chances nope. in the line. You can pay a scalper still, or you can do all this other stuff, some of which, you know, I know that Nobody's going to be able to compete with the person who buys the album thirteen times, which is the maximum that you can do to get points. Right, but there are ways to help her to to, like, to help her out without spending money to get a little farther in line. There are ways to spend money to move yourself in line. It's it's no different yeah. than uh, than a video game with microtransactions. It's like you, can, right. play, you can play. You can play. That's straight. what it is.
3: It's it's Kim Kardashian Hollywood. That's my problem with it. Like as somebody who spent way too much time. Playing Kim Kardashian Hollywood. I'll cop
2: to it. I don't care. What, what is Kim Kardashian Hollywood? it oh, was no. So it was an
3: <laughs> Android and iPhone app game that involved living the life oh of God. Kim Kardashian. Hmm. You flew back and forth across the world. You oftentimes played games at casinos. You went shopping. You had events. You got married and had kids. You lived Kim Kardashian's life. And you got to become friends with Kim with all
2: of her sisters and her mother as well in the game, too. Was there the opportunity to alter the course of life of Poplo included in this game? If yeah, That was <laughs> because, I'm because sure it, if there was, I think, I think I would be on board.
3: Right. I think that was the only thing that yeah. was missing. Kanye's, Kanye's involvement in the game was, was not... It's still, it still exists. It's not really a thing that was up for debate. But that's what I feel like we're at now. I mean, Taylor Swift has effectively wow. gamified the ability to be able to... So, Go ahead. You know to she's gamified the ability of her
2: fans to listen to her music, so what's wrong with that if if there's a there's a thing that like I think all of us here are sort of uh, in various phases it's been wonky on like kickstarters like why can you do that? It's like a water bottle that reminds you of the drink yeah like that's stupid, but at the end of the day. If people want to pay for it, who gives a fuck? No, but it's the like, fact that
3: nobody wants to do this, but they have to do it. That's my problem. But I, that
2: that is incorrect. Nobody has to do it. Nobody has to do it, and everybody want her fans want to do it. Her fans. No, look. The only the, there is a thing that I that I really dislike about this, and because it, it's stupid, but it's stupid in general. <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is just you would just mention Amazon Prime off mic, and it's yeah. because we are spoiled. Um, <laughs> if you want to get the CD day of. Right, you can pay. She's partnered with UPS. You can pay forty-eight dollars shipping. Now, here's a little. Here's a little secret. I've never pre-ordered something and not gotten it two days before. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's neither here nor there. But you know what? But my point is, is that if we talk about musicians. Uh, doing stuff to make money. Hey, this is a way to make money. Yeah. And it's pure profit. Right. And and if we're talking about people who really want to see her, the, I, I think this will result in, in people actually not just ending up the, at the concert who are the, like bigger fans and people who might be show up there casually. But I also think it's going to end up in like a lot more record sales for her. And isn't that what I we mean- want for everybody?
3: It is, but at the same time you don't have to turn it into like an app game. Where it's like if you Why do not? this thirteen times, and you get to move from one thousand four hundred and forty two to you're almost forty. I is am this, is I'm this just on away. your lawn? Oh you're damn right it is. Okay. It's all over okay. my lawn. Okay. Like I'm just like, okay, so this is my, my main issue with it is like, alright, so we tell young artists, and I deal with a lot of young artists, we tell young artists that the best way to create is to create without thinking about the financial price point of that which you are creating. We tell all young, all young artists this one thing. That's, that's now because Taylor's doing stuff like this. And because Taylor does it, I, that means that Kendrick's going to do it. I, that means that everybody across the board is going to do it. So it's like now we're saying, okay, so you have to make things that are absolutely saleable. At all costs, like you have to make the music saleable. You can't just make good music anymore and just perceive that good music, if placed in front of people, is going to sell. Which is, you know, I uh, I,
0: I I gotta say I disagree with you on this one, Marcus. Okay, sure. Because I think that you're you're playing in rarefied air when you're talking about when you're talking about Kendrick, when you're talking what? about Taylor Swift, when you're talking about Kanye. Like people aspire to be those people, but it's not. Necessarily influencing the next wave of, it, no, of of successful artists trying to get a following you can't pull this shit until you've already got people who are doing it already like I guarantee that most of the folks who are going to be who are going to be getting that who are going to be doing this would already be doing ninety yeah. percent of it already. These are all people who are going to buy the c d anyway who are watching the video five times a day who are going to be tweeting about how much they love Tay, and they're getting some benefit from it. They probably will do more of that because of this, but it's a way of rewarding the fans yeah. and ginning up ades- additional it. money, but it doesn't mean that somebody who's sitting in their basement who's composing right now is going to be like well, boy, I better get in on this action because there's no way for them to get in okay.
3: on that action. Okay, I mean, I, and I'll, I'll disagree with your point. I'll say that there's artists in the world like Nipsey Hussle who doesn't have an album deal, but at the same time, he, will, he willfully prices his albums at $1 million. Like, that's an actual <laughs> thing. He's like, yo, if you want my album, it's literally a $1 million. <laughs> he's still has, like has Wu anybody. Wu-Tang, yeah, has, no, man, that's an actual thing. Like, Nipsey okay, does yeah. that. Like, he's also like... Opened up a clothing store as well. So, like, he figured it out. He's like, okay.
0: But, but, but has anybody bought the album? Yeah. he Somebody bought the album. Like, he uh, made his money. Is this the guy there. that Martin Shkreli bought the album from? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. He's, but, he's, but it's a whole different other story. But, but like, but good for him. If yeah. somebody's got that much disposable, disposable income and they want to transfer it over to an artist. Right. Good on them.
3: But I mean, okay. So, By I the mean, way, this
0: podcast is available for $1 million.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. We, we have a little Patreon going. I was yeah, like, there's so, a right. price. Right now it's at 10000 We can, I can up yeah. it. All I got to do is hit edit. <laughs> right. So, I
3: mean, at this point, I think that there's a conversation. It's funny you bring a Patreon as well. I have a Patreon too. Um, where the key is to talk about the idea that are we get. I think that a safer way of doing this down the line is to just look at this as artist patronage. Like I think that's, okay, we, that's okay. I think that's where industry should be going towards the model of like if you like an artist a lot, then you just allot an x x amount of money to them per year, like lock in with Taylor Swift for seven hundred and fifty dollars or seventy five dollars so, so, and then that and and that to me is a lot easier to deal with than like this 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 shell game and connect the dots where. You have to click this button four times. Oh, but
0: and you have to click that but, button but that, two but that's, times. But that's part of the fun. Like this is—I don't, I don't consider that fun. You, you, you don't, but gamifying everything is how things are done these days. I mean, you yeah. talk, talk, talk to an Uber driver at some point and ask no, how I, they get their how they get up their money. They have it set up in tiers. They've got different star bonuses, things like that. And the thing is, you can look at it and roll your eyes, but it works. It's why microtransaction games
2: make tens of millions, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, like, I, I'm about to, like, buy Destiny 2. Okay. Which is horrible. <laughs> so we're going to get three podcasts in the can, and then we're going away again.
0: Okay. But, <laughs> but it is... <laughs> I, I was
2: afraid that this one was going to get canceled because of rabbits. <laughs> it might. <laughs> it might uh, officially sponsored by Nintendo. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no. It's happening. It, we, uh, but, but, yeah, the microtransactions are real because it... Uh, and I think to Paul's point, the gamification of it, as a gamer, um, it it makes the experience what you want it to be. So while you or I are just like, we just want to buy we just want to buy a fucking ticket. Yeah. While Eduardo is like, actually, you know what? Eduardo is the one who's going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, Eduardo is going to do this. Oh, oh, man, if I start seeing like. Fifteen wardo Wardo t-
0: t- t- yes. tweets a day. I'll know yeah, what's
2: up. Yeah, yeah. And Water's going to do this because <laughs> Water's going to see it, and he's going to be like, "I'm going to pre-order it," and then occasionally I'm going to do it, and then he's going to like try to give a shout out on the podcast, and we're going to let him, right? We're going to let him, yeah. and we're going to, and maybe we'll get into that ecosystem. Maybe we'll get caught up in that riptide <laughs> and try to like get some uh, yeah. cash on the way like, out or something.
3: Okay, so like, there's, so it's funny you talk about like, so you know, we talk about mobile technology and things. I'm a big fan of subscription model everything. I've become like like I have a subscription to Amazon Prime. I have a subscription mm-hmm. to the WWE Network. I have a subscription to all these things. How do you
2: feel about Adobe? <gasps> well, that's tough, right? That's really tough.
3: Because it's like Or, it, going there. or Microsoft. Yeah, that's or Microsoft, creating, that's yeah. creating a subscription model on a necessary good that actually like if you don't have it impedes your ability to like work. Yeah. And, that, and that's a whole other conversation. But I feel like for, for frivolous things like, you know, concert tours and going to, like, you know, listen to a, a single by Taylor Swift. Yes, these are frivolous things. Yeah. Um, doing, like, doing that in an, a gamified manner sets a really bad precedent for, like, the industry overall. Because all of a sudden then you just turn into, like, the, 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 tail, the, the, the tail chasing the dog instead of the dog chasing the tail. Like, it's it, it doesn't work well. So, like, in my mind, it's like, you set up subscriptions, and you ultimately can allow for good art to exist because a creative can go into the process knowing exactly what they're getting. They know exactly how much money they have. Like, give, give me an example. Like, They Lost Soul. Yeah. least their last record. And it was done it was via... Right, it's pledge music. So they knew how much money they had. TLC did the same thing.
2: Our friends, Mail the Horse, are doing the
3: same right. thing. Right, so they know the amount of money they have, and they know going in what it is they can accomplish, which actually, as a creative, I feel gives you a better opportunity to really think about what you're doing when you step into the studio. If it goes a little bit, you know, lives not so well, like as what you were expecting, you could maybe think about some ulterior, you know, like strategies. To make it work or if it goes like exceedingly well, then you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm going from
0: my, my, my cat producing my beats to no ID. I think
1: it's,
0: I think that's a great point, And I think that's a good, that's a good model as well. But I don't think that one excludes the other and they are for artists that are playing in different spheres. Taylor Swift doesn't have to worry about how much money she's got to produce her album. I mean, Taylor I mean, Swift's limited only by whatever the heck she wants well, to do. She, but,
3: but, but, and, but that's the thing though, is that she is because if you think about it, where we're going now with labels is that labels are doing one big record that funds an entire calendar which is, of music. But that's the way it's always been. Right. Man. But especially now, because there's less money
2: now available oh, yeah, I agree, I agree. in the pool. But let's take this down to like a, like a ten foot level. Yeah, let's take it down to like just think about like a local DC band doing okay. here and taking taking agency, uh, owning their agency and being like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. And it is a pledge music campaign. I mean, pledge music is is it's great, um, but it is a another example of a layer on top of the artist, a thing that the artist could. Necessarily do themselves, right? Um, but say somebody, any band, say Sean had done this, right? Perfect, perfect and, example. And is doing this and holds back singles and stuff and say, hey, by the way, you can you can pay to join my fan club and get this, and I'm going to reserve because this is all I can do at a show, 15 tickets, and then there's a lottery for whoever wants to go, and you're going to be in that, like. I think it's extensible to like the music industry as a whole. And I think at the end of the day, it might be like beneficial and help people build their brands a little more. Not everybody's going to go for it and not everybody should because you can't like everything and you shouldn't like everything. But when you have the chance to seriously support with everything you have, as stupid as that is, if you're doing it for Taylor Swift to seriously support the person and artist you love in this way, like why the fuck not, dude? I get it, but again it's not because i'm like I, I hear you like worrying about it. Is... I hear you where, worrying about it stepping on art, but i don't I don't feel it I mean do you feel it'll step on art
0: no, um. I don't because this isn't money that. People were, were like, man, I was going to go fund the new De La Soul record, but now I'm going to give it or to fund Taylor the, Swift. New Denmark, the new Denmate record. Right. This is Taylor Swift fans saying, I really, really, really want to go to the Taylor Swift concert. But you're yeah. setting
3: up a one 1%er standard for the music industry, which I guess is already there. It, oh, yeah, it exists. But, no, it, it exists. <laughs> but, but it's also like, okay. Marcus, so this, is, the, no, this is my issue with it. Okay. I, I was, no, yeah, okay. I'm sorry to cut you off. I don't mean to cut you no, off no, like, in a, such a forceful way, but... Um, here's my issue with it. The one percenter standard of the music industry is like juice. We know it's there. we don't admit to it being there just so that we can allow for an industry to exist that still kind of looks like the industry we've always known. The second that you allow this to occur and allow this to like propagate and become like more of a set in stone part of where the industry goes, then we're openly saying, this is a one percenter industry. If you are not into 1%, then who in the. No, 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 I I
0: I totally disagree because it's up to the band how they want to play it. Look, whatever you want to say about Taylor Swift, the average entry price to a Taylor Swift show during her 1989 concert was $199. Oh, where? Yeah. So it's not like this is suddenly like tearing the cover off of, of, of Taylor Swift. It's always been hard. To get into her shows, and it's always been a one percenter game. But if she but, wanted to be Fugazi and play ten dollars shows in clubs, she could do that. No, but I'm going to bleep that
2: out. By the way, we don't say Fugazi. Yeah, it's yeah. two places. That's the other Beetlejuice. But uh, but no, I feel
0: like
3: <laughs> the second that you just the second that you just kowtow and say, okay, that's what it is. But
0: what what are you? What is your proposal here? Like we're my not. So we're not. We're that, not supporting it. That's all you can do.
3: Yeah, my. Yeah, I mean. My proposal is that, you, again, you move to a subscription-based model so that you change the way the industry operates in the sense that if you're going to record a record, you come out on your social media, you say, hey, we're going to go into the studio. And we're, actually, we're going to be going into the studio in six months. This is where we're going. Because I can tell you that this will work because most people, that, is... most people that make music now need that much time at minimum, to actually get their asses together and then actually put together but, the song But then what
0: you're saying is, is that is a suggestion for individual artists that could possibly work, but saying the entire industry should move to this model. I think it should. Why would the entire industry move to this model when because, there okay, are folks take, who don't need to and no, who are but, going to make more money but, the other but way? But
3: I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we've pushed social, we've pushed interaction, we've pushed integration of social media and music, which is largely what this is doing. And for, and, and at some point you need to create a democratized playing field that doesn't tilt, you know? Like you have to at least give the semblance still because music is a, is a, is a, is an equitable space where everybody should have the opportunity to make music. Yeah. yeah. So the second that you say, this is a 1% percenter game, if you're not in that 1%, what in the fuck are you doing? Like that's problematic. Like you have to like, at least give the pre- presentation that there is something similar I, between I, I this don't artist know. and that well, artist. Well, I
2: can jump in because I know what you're saying and yeah. stuff. And, and I think during this break, you turn into me, <laughs> and, and I might have turned into you because, like, yeah, that that's the ideal. But like the conversation we were having, like this is offline with the, uh, a, a member of the IMP family, the Nine Thirty Club family specifically, was how this was tragic, and it was uh, it was commenting on the consequences sound article and the the reality is is that it's not a game it's money and so like for example here in DC if yeah. you if you think that like 930 club is on your side as long as you give them your money they're on your side there are lovely people there yes for sure absolutely our our beloved madeline works there now mm-hmm. but there is zero that drives that industry in this town except for one thing dollars and so if Taylor Swift can do it, 930 Club is going to do it, the Friends with Benefits program, is it light? Because, yeah, you don't have to buy in, but you actually do have to buy a lot of stuff to get stuff. No, it's it's true. And But but yeah. that but my point is, that's not new. No, no, it's not and, new. And so yeah. arguing about Taylor Swift doing it is sort of like... Uh, you know, just ignoring the history of music and and just being okay. like, oh, okay, she's got to... look. She's gonna make a fuck ton of money. This is a different way to make a fuck ton of money. And if if it if it like limits her audience to just this group of people, isn't that better? Because then we all know where they are in one place. Right.
3: I I, I might agree with that, but I sounded
2: sinister. But it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I, I hear it.
3: But yeah, I just I just think that for other artists the idea of being able to like control and then monetize before you actually go into the recording process would be important i think also for artists to learn exactly who they okay so another problem is that artists don't know who their fans are and they don't know the actual
2: size of what it is they're about to do And, and you know why they don't care because, but they because the secondary markets, because right, they but, sell out every goddamn show. Yeah, but they should.
3: And this kind of model would ensure that they know, like, okay, we have 100,000 people. I have five people. I have 27 people yeah. that actually give four shits legitimately about what I'm doing and aren't going to, like, wait for me to put my album on Spotify or wait to rip and steal my album because i put it on title. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to make less money from it. If you knew going in that there were 150,000 people that were like, I want this record, and I care deeply about your music, then you would know like, okay, going in, like, I have this to do, and I can work from that, that model. Is,
2: and, and we got to wrap it up and get into the, talking about more yeah. drugs, but is, is, uh, would being, say, let's just say first week, or first however many, uh, Wood saying with every album comes a ticket because we've seen the reverse. I remember seeing Prince on the musicology tour. You bought a ticket and you got musicology. Right. I already bought musicology, but it was tight. Yeah. But, but say the reverse. So would that be an okay thing or would that just be another like mosquito pool for the secondary market and scalpers?
3: I mean, I well, you would you would be able to effectively like block out most of the scalpers because the people that they actually, can buy the album, yeah, the people that the people that buy the album get a ticket, or like if you put in X amount of dollars, You're talking about
2: paperless ticket, right? You have to bring. Let's say you have to bring the album, yeah. Like you, if you, if there was a way where, like,
3: okay, you sign up for, say, you know Moses something, you know, uh, yeah, Moses yeah, something, yeah. Moses yeah. something, perfect, perfect, perfect example, perfect example.
2: Like, if you buy up, his album, which you should, we're not, we haven't talked yeah. about it yet, but you should, if you buy his album, you get a, the first, let's see, he's playing across the show, so. Right, uh,
3: you buy, you buy the record. First
2: hundred thousand people get a ticket to whatever. Yes, yeah, whatever market
3: want. you're in. Yep. You get a ticket. And then from there, you release the tickets to the third party site. And then that's kind of like, you know, the, the traditional lottery system that you go into for buying a ticket off a third party site. Yeah. But if you knew going in that you had like X number of people and you do it, they were coming to your show, that might change things. But I mean, if, if I see the value in gamifying system for one percenters, because it's fun and it's viral and you can get Buzzfeed articles and yeah. all of the parts of the marketing, you know, hoorah to do that part is part of the industry now, but I'm just like, <sighs> I'm just annoyed that we're at this point now where we can just lay bare the idea that there are one percenters and they have all the rights and they have all the opportunities and all the response and none of the responsibility. Welcome
2: uh, to 2017, brother.
0: Yeah, it's like I mean, there's there's that, but there's also I think that you're probably taking that a little too far because we're talking about tickets to a Taylor Swift show.
2: You might be right. All right. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're trying to get tickets to Taylor Swift, uh, you, you know what you have to do, um, I'm waiting for the tickets to GWAR for them to run something like this. and Then oh, we'll man. see what people have to do for that. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the war on drugs. Hang tight. All night from uh, Philadelphia's The War on Drugs' fourth LP. It is called Oh God Damn It. <laughs> Deeper Understanding. Yeah, I was looking at all of them at once. I'm like, they're all the same. We'll get to that. <laughs> well, that's that's a, that's a very valid point. <laughs> uh, actually, this is this is their uh, yeah their fourth album, uh, Deeper Understanding. Now, uh, War on Drugs has been around since about like 2005 and 2008. They put out their first album, Wagon Wheel Blues, that. Uh, famously or infamously featured Kurt Vile, and the the original band uh, featured uh, Andrew Granduciel, David Hartley, Robbie Bennett, Charlie Hall, John Natchez, and Anthony LaMarca, and Kurt Vile. And it was, uh, you know, it was pretty well received. I remember hearing it. I remember seeing it. it was like sort of hanging out there. I knew a lot of people who knew some people from Philly who were like, yeah, this guy is doing some good work. It was, wasn't until 2011, Kurt Vile has left the band. He is doing his own thing and continues to do his own thing, to my great disdain, um, uh, when Slave Ambient came out. And uh, that's when uh, Andrew took the show on the road. In fact, uh, he, I've seen him at the Red Palace which is a, a small venue no longer in existence Red here. Palace. With a little band named Caveman opening up. Oh, my God. Um, and then Andre and I took a road trip, a two-night road trip at one point on the Slave Ambient Tour to see uh, them play uh, in Charlottesville and in Raleigh. And and this is a very Andre band. I this is a very Andre band. I was going to say, yeah. Uh... And, uh, you know, the gist of the band is... Uh, regardless of whatever narrative they're trying to push right now, is it's very like it's very laid back, very eighties tinged. It's very, uh, very comforting. Uh, they 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 have a lane, they they stay in it, and uh, that's you know <laughs> that's pretty much uh, where they are uh, on this one though. Uh, because of Lost a in Dream in twenty fourteen, which I think we put pretty high in our year end list, and and I do think that was an exquisite album. That was a joyful album. It was a uh it was a culmination of what um Andrew was trying to do, Andrew Grindusio. Um they got a they got a record contract with Atlantic. And Atlantic was like the future and the guys. Is wide <laughs> open. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah, you get to Um and, and and so what Atlantic heard was hey, here's this guy who uh who sounds like Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen all rolled up into the one. The sky was <laughs> the limit. Yep, yep, yeah. you see? Um, <laughs> Marcus says... Um, so look, I mean, here's the thing about major label debuts, uh, and specifically this one, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I do not give a fuck if Warren Drugs is on a major label. Same thing with Sturgill Simpson, did not give a fuck. Doesn't care. Like what? What? The only thing that's going to happen if you come from this indie space to a major label is your shit's going to suck. With Sturgill, the songs didn't suck. The album did. Oh, I'm not going to relitigate that. But but okay. we we we've gone back and forth on yeah this before, yeah. Yes. But 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 so with this, it's a very interesting thing because I got this and I started listening to it, and uh, the past I started listening to it in our break during our break a couple things happened uh the least of which was uh charlottesville yeah and if people weren't i think woke after charlottesville then i don't know but but I, but i, I want to make it clear that the people in charlottesville are my people and yep. and that's where i grew up there's my country there's if i don't claim any tribe but if i had to that is that is where that is where my history lies. And this is music made for um, you know, the foot of the Blue Ridge. This is music made for just hanging out. This is music made for smoking a bowl. It's music made for enjoying yourself. And as such, I found myself listening to this and thinking, Man, I really, really enjoy how this sounds. This is like this is so pleasant. This is so this is great. But then, but then I scratched the surface a little bit, and, and I and I found myself uh, a little uh, resentful and ashamed because I don't know, and, and this isn't going to be the larger conversation, but we should talk about it a little. I don't know where music this devoid of social context sits in twenty seventeen and the time that we're in, um.
3: So Marcus, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a the thing that happens. I feel like, uh, like with every band you're talking about, it that like goes from like awesome indie band from any town, USA, mm-hmm. that you know. And I was quoting the into the great wide open by Tom Petty because it's to literally feels like the story of this band. They go from being like Philly's band because like, and this is from an era like 05, 06, 07, when like every city on the East Coast had a band. Yeah. Like, I mean, D.C. had Q and not, not You. Yeah. There was yeah. the band, man. You know, like, and Baltimore had Future Islands. They were the band. And, yep. You know, and it's funny because, like, where Future Islands made their big, you know, like, major push in around 2014, 2015 at, at uh, Song Seasons, which is entirely analogous to Hold On on this album. Mm-hmm. Which we'll and get in a it's it's frustrating in the sense that like a band that's meant for people to just hang out and have community that's a, that's a that's an actual thing, but when that, you try that, to, that's an actual and that's a good, good it's that's a good thing. thing. But when you try to turn that community from like you and like 150 to 300 of your friends in yeah. Philly at insert name of bar club in <laughs> Philly here to like. You guys have to sell out the arena, man. Damn. That you you're, you you strip something away because you have to amplify some things and turn some things down. Like I read the Pitchfork review of this album, which by the way is total horseplay and hootenanny, because they gave it eight point seven, which is
2: a lie. Horseplay and hootenanny. Yeah, it's just, our new rating system.
3: Yeah, it is. It's is it horseplay like, or hootenanny? It's eight point seven for like local community band right, X that's right. a really great band making a major label album and they're like and, they, and it's funny because like there's moments I have as like a journalist who's like worked in a recording studio and been around people who actually make music mm. and they're like yeah well you know the the drum the drumming is different it's less like you know it's 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 less slow and warm and more like you know big and powerful and i'm like well yeah that's because they you know have access to Tracking the drums in a certain way now, right. for major label consumption, and this the album's louder than any album they've ever put out. It's yep. cleaner than any album they've ever put out. To the the great like disservice of what they do as a group, like to even further go back to Touch of Grey by the Grateful Dead, which is part yeah. of their narrative now.
1: Yeah, man, is this... that
3: like there's this refix article I sent around everybody.
2: Today is what we do before we do the podcast.
3: I'm talking to the mic like it's person. Um we send around. By everybody you mean the
2: entire planet. You did you lawnmower man these people. Yeah, just, just checking. I just do, you All know. Right. So
3: any of it. <gasps> Whatever. Whatever, <laughs> Kevin. Okay. Jesus. So any event, um, It's our first one back. Come on, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Jerkstore. <laughs> <Killin' me. laughs> anyway, so the, the the new narrative of this band because local awesome band from philly that you can go see with your girlfriend and it's smokeable before you go see them perform doesn't really work for like the the larger nation mm. now it's this band is inspired by that one time the lead singer was in a convenience store in her touch of gray by the grateful dead yep and they already sounded like tom Petty and the heartbreakers a bit so if you're in that happy space of liking music that's between the Grateful Dead and 1980, like 1980s Grateful Dead and the entire career of Tom Petty, you're really good with this album,
0: and it's right. like,
3: but that's not who they are.
0: It's
2: it's not who they are. <laughs> and, and I thought that I thought, and, that
0: I thought that article actually said that, you know, he already felt that he took inspiration from. The synthesizer like, evolution of various other folks in the 80s, and then he heard Touch of Grey and was like, Oh, yeah, that sounds a lot yeah, like what I was you know, doing, and, and then moved is, it in. And, like, it's, it's not quite the story. And this is going right there.
2: there's a couple nerves of that. But, but,
0: but this is going to sound but, funny because it
3: reminds me of like, and this is a, a damnation on everybody between the age of like 29 and 35 that's in a band right now and kind of making hmm. the same album. Driving me crazy. Um, everybody has this thing where they say that they're inspired by a thing that actually isn't the thing that exists in their music. And it drives me <laughs> completely crazy. Yeah, it's horrible. Because I'm, like, I'm like, wait, so you got inspired by, like, 80s synth pop, but on this record, it comes out
0: sounding like Touch of Grey. Well, no, no, hold on, hold on. He didn't say 80s synth pop. He said... When some of these guys who'd been playing in the 70s doing guitar driven rock oh, yeah. started incorporating synths in the 80s. That became, that's different that than 80s synth pop. But synth-pop. to be, okay, yeah. So, but I mean, I mean synth pop in the sense that it's like. It's Neil Young using synths. That's, right, that's what he's what thinking, I mean, talking right. about.
3: Which is, which all became pop music and all led to these, a
0: lot of these groups, like biggest selling hits. Right. And he can, and, and then he says, I'm taking that and doing my own thing with it. And I, look, I, I've got the same issue with folks who cite who cite inspirations that you can't hear. But, Jesus, he wears his inspirations on his sleeve, I think. Let's
2: uh, let's play a track. I'm I'm surprised he didn't say division, Val. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And let's play a track and and come back to that because I want to get your take on this, uh, Paul, very much so. And uh, if I can pull up the thing. Yeah. So this is holding on. Uh, you know, that is, uh, it sounds nothing like uh, such a great, but it achieves, I think, the same purpose. I think if you've never heard War on Drugs and you hear that, you're going to be like, this might be the band for me. But you you said something interesting and uh, highly relevant to my interest, Paul, before we went to the break, and that is The Division Bell. Yeah. Tell people what The Division Bell is.
0: Oh, The Division Bell is... Uh... Pink Floyd's last album before they put out The Endless River, Yep, which was not really new material. Did, did we cry so a
2: little when we reviewed The Endless River? We did. Yes. <laughs>
0: and Division Bell uh, was kind of the evolution of what they had been doing since uh, Gilmore took over the band, mm-hmm. and it incorporated a lot of the same elements that he's working with here and had... It was more epic in scope. Sure. This is almost like you took the division bell and inverted it. Like if the if the division bell was all in one obsessive studio wonk's head, yeah. it's kind of what you're getting on some of the tracks here. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so as a as a War on Drugs fan and as somebody who is knows uh, a little bit about some good music, and say, I'll give you that credit. <laughs> that is uh, more credit than I usually get. That is more credit than you usually get. Like, so, so, what's your take on this? Um.
0: I really like it. I I think it's doing something a little bit different than uh, lost in the dream was. Um, I think it's a little less consistent throughout the album than lost in the dream was, but I'm not entirely sure that's a bad thing because as good as lost in the dream was you, it kind of sounded like one track at some points. Like you could just cruise through that album and it was awesome, but you don't want to do that on every album unless you're making ambient music. And here I think you get, a little bit more of uh, his personal introspection. And I think that his new studio tools actually play that up to your point. Yeah. It's like when you're, I don't think you can discount the fact that the drums sound bigger and cleaner. I don't think you can discount the fact that the production sounds crisper because he's always been up front with the fact that he's a studio guy. They are tour rats and he hates touring. Right, he wants to be in the studio. So the fact that they gave
2: him more money and more toys to play although, with, although give him a chance. Although to, that narrative to me like rings a little hollow. I mean, that's fine if he wants to stay in the studio, but like I want to stay in the basement. I can't. I can't right now. You know. <laughs> no, and I mean, uh, I mean, that's not that's not valid because cause th- this is one of the, the criticisms we have. Of this album is like you know people are putting him forward as a studio rat, and it's like it doesn't show. It's not. It's this is not one of the great studio listens. No,
0: look, I'm not. I'm not putting this up there with pet sounds or something like that. <laughs> right, but, uh, right, right. It, but it, I think it does show a lot of studio workmanship. He played more than I, yeah, you know, He played mostly most. It, show, of the, it shows uh, precision instruments on the on the on the album mm-hmm. here, and I think it also shows that if he really does go down that Brian Wilson rabbit hole at some point he could come up with something really weird and really cool but if he wants to keep cruising in this space like this plays well live but it plays really well on your headphones interesting
2: you should say that because it doesn't play well live you don't think so I don't think so I I think and I had a conversation with a couple people uh, leading up to this and uh, he played a show at the 930 club he's playing the anthem now and it was just going to be opening which is going to be three times the crowd of that yeah um and uh so Lost in the Dream is what, an hour? This is sixty-six minutes. Lost in the Dream is an hour. Um my no, Lost in the Dream is like seventy, right? It's pretty fucking long. Uh neither here nor there. Um we had people in our crew, Roddy was one of them, who were trying to like leave the show, but after like two and a half hours he had not stopped playing. And normally, like I don't know if I would do this now I'm 45, but easily in my youth, I'd be like, this is fucking rad. You're just going on. on. But the problem is is I think it's an asset in the albums and a problem with the live show, uh, a possible asset with the albums, is that there is a very specific lane that this band traffics in and it is Lost in the Dream. Like you said, it was perfect. You can put it on and you sort of get sucked away. This album is the same. There are bigger there's there's potholes in it uh but but the band itself as a live entity is cannot sustain this and i feel like a lot of that energy seeped into this album and those are the potholes where it's just like you know at some point you need a keychain at some point you need a a uh a, a, a Timber change in your voice. At some point you need all of these things uh, for me to consider it like super interesting rock and roll. And like, this is, this is really what I'm struggling with because it's so fucking pleasing. Lord, uh, it's so fucking pleasing, but I'm like, is it actually good? Because if I decided to write 11 songs all in the same key and all in the same pace and all the same timber, We'd be having a very different podcast. Yeah. I guess but it's look, it's
0: it's pleasing orally, I think, but it is
2: also Orally A U A U. Yes. Orally. not,
0: not, not orally. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you for the clarification there. Yeah.
2: We, we we don't know about this band. Maybe, 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 <laughs> no, who knows? Hey, maybe it's in the Taylor Swift package. I, I, you know there what it is. <laughs> oh
0: boy. Wow. I but, walked uh, right ooh. into that one. But uh Bang. it's uh but it's going deeper when you get to the when you get to the lyrics. Like I think you, He's, oh, it see, does.
2: he's getting you. He's getting you yes. into his headspace. Like this is okay. the, the lyrics, though, are are repetitive and vague, and don't really do anything that like say, our friend's okay. Roadkill Ghost Choir okay. is doing.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll say but he's th- not I'll, trying to tell stories. He's trying to get you into his mental space. I'll, okay. I'll, say
3: th- I'll say this. We were talking about the lyrics earlier today, and I agree with you. Um, I think that the one thing that like makes this album work, if this album works for you, is that lyrically there's a disconnection, there's a dissonance between this, like, a lot of, like, tradition, a lot of familiar... Loop, you know, guitar loops and like drum patterns that you're used to if you listen to this style of rock and roll. And then when you listen to some of the stuff he's saying lyrically, yes, a lot of it is repetitive and yes, a lot of it yeah. may come off this way. But I feel like for him, because he's such a studio rat, because he's so cerebral, he's just trying to like get out where he's at creatively, mentally into lyrical form in this way that like pl- it plays as an instrument too. And I
2: respect the fucking that. Yeah. But sort of tying it back to, not not just what we were talking about at the beginning, what this entire podcast is, the entire show is about, as a whole, like all 300 episodes. What I don't respect the fuck out of is people looking at this and being like, this is somehow magic. <laughs> you said it right now, it's not Pet Sounds. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> How, no. how many things are, but, but nothing. But, but, it's but, not, but it's not even close to Pet Sounds. Is what But it's I'm not saying. supposed to be. Well, no, it's not supposed to be. But it's like this is the only way we can sell music by like saying, "Oh, this is the new whatever." Nobody compared it to Pet Sounds yet. No,
3: but but that, that that Pitchfork review, if you go to but it, but he has
0: the reputation. Almost does he, what, what did Haydn compare it to? Because I didn't read that article, but he was.
2: Oh, Haydn was it. just. Since, I'm not going to say what he. <laughs> like, it's, He's he's frustrating me as a music critic now, but uh but uh yeah, I mean it's it's very much uh a thing of where you have <laughs> I'm gonna go down a really weird tangent here and you haven't been watching, but I think you have
3: I'm gonna go on an even weirder tangent when
2: you're done. So so this is gonna be so, so, good. Yeah, this is gonna be good. So Tulpa's in in uh Into a <laughs> Jesus. So think about all the versions of Cooper that have been created, right? Okay. Right. Yeah. Now you're talk- I, should, I should like
3: plug my ears because I still watch yeah, this. Yeah, and yeah, told yeah, me yeah, to watch. yeah I won't spoil it. <laughs> lam, 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 so, lam so, so, yeah. so,
2: so, so you have Dougie, and you have all these different versions and stuff, and and I think this version, on, at least as presented on this album, is some like ver- some version of Cooper that is out there in the world, and they're just doing shit. They're not like Dark Cooper. They're they're not You follow me? You, right?
0: <laughs> kind of sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, But but
2: but but somewhere there is actual Cooper. Actual Agent Cooper doing the right thing. And he's going to come along and like wipe all this shit away and just be like, "Well, maybe we don't know. Next weekend." But but my point is is it like Warren Drugs has
0: assumed Will he now? I kind of want to see the woodsman just like jump into the middle of the studio here.
2: Right, right. But so, so Warren drugs has light. assumed has assumed a, a place that literally there was a vacuum. Like people needed a band like this, and nobody's like our friends Roadkill Ghost Choir. I, I joke with Andy. I said, "Hey, you can sue them now," and he's like, "No, they're going to sue me." And I'm like, "Why don't you guys sue each other? It'll be good press." But you know they're all influenced by the same things but people are now looking at this because it's on a major label and going i don't think i need to know about say bruce springsteen's lucky down or anything in the 80s this is just this is just what 2017 sounds like and and that's that's the that's the the stuff that sticks in my craw with this being pleasing because if if we take this forward and perfect it which he is a perfectionist and he is And he has perfected this sound to be a simple vibration that we can all just sort of like, yeah. Uh, Are we going to forget about everything else?
3: No, it's going to let you down. Um, I'll I'll write this story. It's a Philadelphia story. In around 2008, 2009, I started my career as a blogger. And um, every person told me when I went to Philly that Amanda Blank was the most like phenomenal female vocalist slash artist of her generation. Everybody told me this mm-hmm. like journalists. I knew in Jersey journalists. I knew in New York journalists. Mm-hmm. I knew in DC journalists. I knew everywhere. LA. They're like, you're going to Philly. You must go see Amanda Blank. She's the best. So I walked into the show going, she's the best. And then I walked out of the show going, yes, she's absolutely the best. These people are absolutely right. But I've been preconditioned to this notion beforehand. Yeah. I feel like with this band, and with bands that fall along this line of having this space of time between, like, say, 2000 to say 2010, where you come along in an era where there's this grand disconnect between, like, the top end of the music industry as far as like critical like writing about music, and then the bottom end, which is a bunch of bloggers kind of hanging out, all trading back and forth, you know, names and interests about bands that think that that everybody generally thinks are cool. This band falls into that list of bands that everybody knew were cool. And when you get to a point where, like, you finally break into the mainstream, you're not necessarily and, – and, and you're still doing the same kind of thing that you were doing, like, back at a bar in Philadelphia. Like, you – it doesn't translate. Like, there's a disconnect in the way that translates broader.
2: So that's I, hard. I, it's, I wonder it's, if the disconnect though isn't going to be with Andrew Gondusio, because "Lost in a Dream." So, so he's been perfecting this aesthetic, yeah, in public, right? But not album, but, my album, album, my album, yeah. and and clearly "Lost in a Dream" was the high point. But now, like his 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 audience, just by nature of how this has been put out. Ex- expanded, like, exponentially. Yeah, so, but it, you're,
3: but some things are just meant to be heard in an awesome, like, dive bar on, like, South right. Street at, like, 945 at night. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, because so, some oh, of the best music in the world we've all heard in some random place yeah. in the middle of nowhere, and it was like, this is the greatest moment of my life.
0: But I actually just... I disagree with this, about this type of music only working in that venue. Like... These these kinds of fills, like they'll fill the space you're in. I think this. You you watch this outside of the festival. This is gonna play. No,
3: but I think that this isn't the record, though. I think that we we. This is a guy who is a a guy who's learning now how to make music in a different way. So, like, while this is good. What comes next once you master? all of the new tools, all of the new techniques. Once he starts to listen to bands that have, yep. cause he's a listener to music. So he's now probably listening to bands that did a similar thing as compared to what he is trying to do with this band, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So when you listen to that, you're thinking about, okay, well like my techniques need to change the way that I write needs to change the way that I, you know, compose music needs to change.
0: Yeah. I don't, like I, do I don't, this I don't and think it. I don't think that's true though. Like it's, uh, he used the tools to refine what he was already doing. And we get just as critical about people who get some money and get some prestige and then go and do something entirely different. Like, yeah, he's do. been refining a style for but a while I don't and think you, just, you, you use the, the resources you've got to improve it's, the style that speaks to you. And this is going to make
3: me sound like the biggest music nerd in the world and you know I, I probably am, but whatever. So um, I'll just say it. It's so close to being as good... As it could be, like there's like little tiny stupid things that are missing. Mm. Like, like there's like a thing with like gating, like the way it, like, like gating drums to get like a much fuller sound. Like there's like there's like pieces. There's spaces in the register. This is going to make me sound like again the biggest music nerd in the world. But there's spaces in the register that, like, because the Grateful Dead are the Grateful Dead, and when they did like Touch of Grey, they were able to like maximize the sound in a certain way because it's just so flat. It's a box.
0: Ah, uh, but, Mar- I mean, well, but Marcus, now you're talking about incremental improvements, not sea changes. Yeah,
3: yeah, but that's but that's the thing though. They could be they, there's a minimal level of ink. This is this is a great band. I'm not denigrating their ability whatsoever. Right, right, right. right. I'm like. This is a band that could, that has the the ability to be, like, a great American band. But it's, like, the space between, like, where they are now, like, they jump from here to, like, here. They need to be here. There's a space that's, like, that big. And I'm using my fingers to show a space that's about an inch and a half. inch and a half, yeah. It's, like, not that much. It's, like, just off. And this is only because, like... And I'm an obsessive music listener, so like I'll listen to something on Spotify and in my headphones, and I'll be like, Am I not hearing that right? And then I'll go to like a YouTube clip of like this thing playing live, and I'll be like, Oh, is this better or is this worse? I don't know. And that's the thing, because when they tell me that the guy who's the leader of the band is this much of a studio geek, then that forces me to be like, yeah. I know he thinks nah, this but, way but, so I'm going to I'm going to do the that, same but, but thing. But you're big, th-
2: you're big on narratives and and that is one thing that is not a narrative. Yeah. He is he is that studio geek. Yes,
0: yeah, so I'm like But ah. the thing is uh, I, you're coming around to a point that I can see when a few minutes ago, you were talking about like needing to change everything and make, and make these big differences. If you're saying now he's got all these tools and the next album might be better, not because he changes his whole sound or changes his whole approach, but but because he fills in some of these gaps,
2: he probably agree. But
3: but it's going to require him to make a change of approach in the way that he like looks at a drum. I might. There's a way that you look at, there's a way that you
0: look at the functionality of an instrument Everybody's everybody like that. That studies a craft is always improving. I doubt yeah, that you're no. gonna find an artist who's ever gonna be like, you know what, that thing I did, fuck yeah, it's the best. Yeah. If it if it if they do say that, then yeah, they yeah. probably aren't that great.
3: Yeah, it's that moment when you look at a Kanye. drum. <laughs> and you, it's it's there's a weird thing I think that like is important. I think in this whole conversation, it's that idea of like when you're in an indie band and you're looking at like a drum as like, okay, this is the drum that we have yeah. at this bullshit venue that we're playing at in you know nowheresville missouri Mm -hmm. as opposed to like this is a drum that is on stage at the hollywood bowl what could this drum do that this other drum could not do when it's the point the point when he could stop and look at the band and go what could you guys do
0: right this way but, that's what it gets to be mind blowing. But that's that's fine. But again, that's you're talking about incremental improvements and in the kinds of things you get with so experience. You're, you're, you're say, not talking about big changes.
2: You're saying you're saying the next album.
3: Yeah, it's it's definitely next album because you, you give, it, they they it take the three album. years to record a record, right?
2: So 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 to wrap wrap this segment up, like what uh, what is your recommendation for people who are going to be like, I really want to know about the war on drugs, a deeper understanding. How should they deeper understand it? Um.
3: Listen to it and then immediately like, okay, so like you're going to listen to it. If you like rock and roll, you're going to listen to this record and kind of sort of like it uh-huh. in that way that like you would spend thirteen ninety nine on an album with Sam Goody in 1996 and <laughs> play it once or twice and then forget about it for six months and be like, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. That's the way you will look at it because there's not a, a song on this record that's the, the, the season's Future Island song or anything like that that's going to like play on a car commercial 87 times and make you want to vomit or love yourself. Yeah like but it's good so like don't forget that you i'll say this don't forget that you liked this album a little bit yeah okay because you're gonna like the next album that much okay
2: more. okay ball
0: uh this album is a uh, strong buy for me a strong yeah, yeah. No, no, no surprise no there. surprise i it would be pretty shocking to me if this doesn't make my top 10 at the end of the year like this is fantastic i'm gonna get it's gonna get a lot of play so
2: you're listening to a lot of bad music
0: I listen to a lot of good music that you don't acknowledge as good. I <laughs>
2: okay, okay. Aye. um, I am uh, so this this is a uh... this is gonna a uh... this is gonna be a problematic <laughs> rating right here. So I am actually going out to buy it tomorrow. Oh, because I enjoy this. Tell me how that sounds. You get it on vinyl? Yeah, come over. Tell me how that sounds. No, Im- come over. Just okay. fucking come over. We'll All about. right. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I am. This I am. Where going- we're at. By the way, listeners. Yeah, I, I, I am going out to buy it. But, but I, I would say it's, it's. On the whole, a a completely try it record. I think of everything we said, I think you have some really good points, Paul. I think you have some really good points, Marcus. And I think this is a possibly transitional album. Mm -hmm. And it took a while for me to get, and it took this conversation, I think, for me to get through understanding my, um, the reasons I enjoy this. Like, this is a cheap shot at my fucking, like, pleasure center. (laughs) <laughs> it, it just is, <laughs> you know. Especially you said division bell, like it's just like that. It's that. It's yeah. it's a it's an absolute cheap shot at my pleasure center, uh, but there's I, I also put in that category. You know Boston's third stage, uh, the outfield play deep. Oh. Uh, you know I, I, I put all these albums that aren't aren't good, and I know they're not good. And, I, and I, oh, did you just say that third stage is not good? Well, it's really good. Well, we're gonna we're gonna suss that out in a few episodes, but uh, it's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow! I feel like wait podcast number three oh one, we've just upended the entire premise of the yes. previous three hundred yes. podcasts. It's and there like we it like were on the sides of the mirror and we flipped it. This is like Jack yelling we have to go back.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh you know, uh but but it it is definitely something that uh even if you're if you like heady pop music, um or if you've ever liked this band before, check it out, man. Because as long as you can, t- as long as you can not think about it, you- there's nothing, there's nothing not to love. Mm-hmm. But but it is it is ultimately sort of a a try record. And I'm with you, Marcus. That I'm gonna look look forward to a, their next record and see what he does and see if he doesn't just retire. He's gonna get another
3: record. They're gonna give him a shot. Just like yeah, just yeah, it's like Peter like like Allen's right. of something I coming out yeah. too. Like. All
2: these bands that were your yeah, favorite but the, band, but in, but not the shade and not to, like no, not the at all. Like, the Future Islands record, this new one, is terrible. <laughs> We've talked
3: about this, right? Yeah,
2: and we haven't talked about it my... We didn't review it because it's terrible. <laughs> and it's this it. is not this yeah. is this one is not. Yeah, and so, so they yeah, they jump right. they, they escape the pitfalls and uh, yeah. But also, let's be
0: clear: there's no question that they're going to give them another one, not just because it's good, but because this is going to be a pretty popular album. Like, oh, yeah. This has been massive critic made so far, and I think it's
3: going to do pretty well. 8-7 at Pitchfork. 8-7 oh, Pitchfork. That's all say. we need
2: to know. There it is. 8-7 was probably pitched at a 9-2. Thank you gentlemen for wow. hanging out. We'll uh, talk. <laughs> probably, uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Uh, that's it for War on Drugs. When we come back, I'm going to dive into a little like under-your-radar shit and talk to you about some yappers. See you in a few minutes,
1: I was staring into the light when I saw you in the distance and knew that you'd be mine. In my mood.
2: of the war on drugs a deeper understanding is available everywhere you can get records they are on tour this fall so uh you know if if, if this is the thing you dig then then get out and see them it'll be a good time you might see a few of us out there probably won't see me you might see a few of us thanks again to marcus and paul for for coming up to hang out in the cat apartment the basement is not yet fixed as i mentioned and uh but we're gonna get back to that until then it's gonna might sound a little rough we might have a little rough patches but we're you know we're pushing on, guys. Before we get out of here this week, um, want to do something that we like to do at the end of every single podcast we do, and sort of expose you to something it might be flying a little under your radar. Uh, and uh, but it's it's albums that we have come across that we think are are kind of rad. And uh, this week I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some something by the band the Yappers. Now this is a band from Denver, Colorado. Uh, Nate Cook, Jesse Parment, and uh, Noah Schaumburg. Uh they're on Bloodshot Records. Which, if you don't know Bloodshot, uh, please look it up. They amazing stuff going out on um, uh, there out of Chicago. Anyways, they have an album out called "Boy in a Well," that is a um, it's a concept album set in World War One uh, about a mother abandoning her unwanted newborn child in a well. Obviously, uh, it's not necessarily about that. Uh, but if if you're a fan of like punk an Americana, um, for me, this is a it's a better uh, shit. What's that? Band? I blocked them out. Um, Titus Andronicus. Uh, this is this is a this is a great, uh, powerful statement. Uh, it's visceral, and uh, and it's one of I think this year's best rock records. How about that? So uh, we're gonna play a little track from it gets you hip to this. In case you are not, uh, the name of the track is Man Do and. I have it on good authority that it is Bloodshot Josh's favorite track in the album. So here you go. This is the operas of Mandu.
1: Yeah.
2: By the Yopper's right there Uh, Great, great track Great, great album Great, great band Uh, I think they're on tour right now Because I think we're going to see them at DC9 Maybe, maybe Black Cat Somewhere here and watching DC They're going to be playing Uh, And really looking forward to it Because this is uh, You know, the year's been a little Slow on rock records And and it's uh, been more atmospheric stuff At least as far as I can tell So it's nice to have a good like little jolt of adrenaline here and, uh, yeah, it's going to end up on a, a lot of best of the year lists as well. It should. So the operas go out and get it. That is our podcast for this week. Uh, back after hiatus. If you liked what you heard, if this is your first time tuning in, uh, you can do us a couple things. You can, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Apple Podcast, as it were, now. And uh, you can leave us a message or a rating there. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Mixcloud. Um,. Google Play. We are out there pretty much everywhere. Not SoundCloud, because we're just sort of waiting for that to, to die. I think. We talked about that way back in episode 300. Um, we're also doing something uh, that uh, we haven't really publicized yet, but, you know, this podcast is made um, by people who donate a lot of time, uh, a lot of brain power, uh, a lot of uh, effort to... to not only do something for us, because look, it is highly enjoyable for us. Hanging out in the cat apartment with Marcus and Paul are, 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 is, is awesome. We just drank some beers, hung out in the cat apartment. But they've been doing this now for five years, and, and nobody, and I mean nobody, uh, makes a dime off of this. Uh, we've been doing this, uh, been self-funding it, uh, which is fine. These this type of things actually don't take that much to do, uh, despite what anybody might tell you. Uh, it takes a couple hundred bucks in your laptop. That's neither here nor there. Uh, the point is, we have a Patreon uh, that we're starting up, and, and you'll see a little push after uh, everybody has given all they can to Harvey and whatnot, and as Irma is closing in on, on the United States. Uh, so, you know, because there's way more important things to spend your money on than us. But uh, if you are so inclined, it is uh, patreon.com slash chunkyglasses. Go there, and I'm going to be updating that. And, uh, it's a, it's a monthly subscription. The only thing it gets you is, is the sense that you are doing a good deed and supporting the arts. Uh, what it gets us conceivably is if enough of you do that, it gets us like new microphones. It gets us, uh, a dedicated, uh, recording apparatus right now. Every one of these has been recorded on a, a shitty Dell, a Dell Inspiron. So all you Apple Mac fanboys out there, you don't need it. Um, but uh, yeah, it can really help out And it can also help out with all the people working uh, super hard They can get a little money Even if it's just enough to buy like a six pack yeah, Or put a little gas in their car So so that's out there I'll be telling you uh, more about that in a few weeks uh, We thank you for tuning in Coming up at the end of this week Our friends Louis Weeks and Noah Berman Have made a new album under the band name Fauna And we have a interview with them I think their first interview that they've done uh, Gonna be playing a track from them too yeah, the album comes out on Friday, and it's it's stellar. So uh, we will see you then. Uh, until then, be good to your ears, but be better to your people. Talk to you soon.
1: <laughs> Kenobi! <laughs>